I'm here with Andrew Teacher and, and Ayrton Dillon from Blackstock Consulting, and we're discussing the current political environment with local elections on the horizon and how it might impact the property sector. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. With a predict, uh, predicted red mist descending over London and a, and a Labour landslide potentially on the horizon, should the industry be worried? Well, I think it's fair to say that there is a red mist and then it's getting thicker by the day. But let's not forget that we've had a Labour mayor in London now for the last year. We had one previously under Ken Livingstone, although you wouldn't necessarily have pegged him as, as being particularly left-wing in how he approached the property industry because it was Ken, let us not forget, that unleashed many of the towers that we've seen popping up over the last few years. And, and he was... It was pretty friendly to the uh, to the real estate investment community, and he ushered in a lot of foreign investment. Uh, Sadiq Khan has been a little more uh, a, a, a little more traditional, I suppose, in how he has approached things. He's he's looking at being a bit tougher, and has been a bit tougher with affordable housing requirements and with uh, taking a hard line or, or a harder line, particularly over over things like smaller units and and restrictions on uh, on. Uh, or, or, or lowering space standards, rather, um, and and, uh, and at the same point, though, it's not been quite as bad as people thought. You know, there was there was quite a a, a large dose of people that, that were quite frightened at some of the people coming into City Hall, and and to their credit, um, Sadiq Khan and, and his team, Jules Pipe and, and and James Murray, his deputies, have, have done a very good job of being pragmatic and and of, of towing that that difficult balance between getting stuff built. Uh, and being tough enough with developers and house builders that, that they tow a social line and, and, and do the right thing. But, but you're never going to get around that trade-off, I think, of, of the social need for cheap subsidised housing and the commercial need that, that says, hey, guys, we need to make a profit. Before I throw over to Ayrton, I'll just jump in and say, you skipped over the record of Boris Johnson as mayor. I wonder what you think the biggest difference is between how Sadiq's been uh, in his first year in Boris. I mean, it, it's hard to judge because, I mean, firstly, uh, all of these things uh, are, 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 are tough to judge because every few years people change all the numbers. I mean, Boris, for example, famously or infamously uh, changed the definition of affordable housing and it now means 80%. Uh, it means a, a rent that's 80% of what the market is. Oh, that's, that's still a load of gobbledygook to most human beings. Um, Sadiq's obviously only been in post for, for a while. Oh, no, actually, no, he's fair. He's halfway through now, isn't he? So it's, it's, we're two years in. So, yeah, I think stuff's starting to crack. But, it, it, you know, it, it is hard to judge what Sadiq has accomplished thus far compared to Boris. So I, I think largely Boris will have been seen to have been positive by the, the investment community, um, and, and you know, stuff was built, but the, the problem is that none of these things uh, are are the result of any singular person. That the mayor of London does have a fair amount of of planning clout in in the policy that they that they drive forward through the London plan and and other uh, decisions that they make. But ultimately, these things are you know, if we if 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 you know what are you what are you ask what's your what's your kind of metric for success is is what you asked me about affordable housing what, what are you asking well i was just thinking uh a lot of people have accused mayors in the past of not really having the power or the influence to make major change do you think there's a difference a, a notable difference in london's housing market since 
um, Sadiq Khan took over or is it more continuity from Boris and more continuity from Ken? I, I, I think it is, it, it's, it's different shades of continuity. I don't think there's been any seismic shifts. There have been, you know, there'll be particular cries from niche groups that say, oh, you've screwed us over or you've screwed us over. And that, that's just, you know, that, that's what you'll get from people building homes for older people who have recently been shafted a little bit by the latest iteration of the London plan. And there'll be the build to rent guys that say, hey, you know, we want less affordable housing. And ultimately what everybody wants is less tax. So, uh, you know, and that's, that's never changed over the history of the free market and it's never going to. Um, I, I think to answer your question though, there hasn't been any seismic shift what we have seen is a bit of deck chair shuffling from these guys, moving deck chairs around the Titanic, um, scoring a few political points. And, and, and really, until we set politics aside, which is the line I always trot out in, in these sorts of things, until we set politics aside, uh, it, it's not really going to be a great amount of difference. But ultimately, the amount uh, that we see built will be a, a, a function of the market. If there's more money sloshing about and uh, things are a bit easier, you'll see more built. And if more people are buying, you'll see more built. And if stamp duty goes down you'll see more built um the reverse has happened over the last few years and that has put downward pressure on things uh so i, I would say things are, 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 are trundling along okay but ultimately that the barrier for many things in london isn't the mayor at all it, it's the local authorities and, and what we see so often in in planning and in urban development is, is it's the nimby attitudes and the political point scoring at a local level that are what block things and, and stop progress that we need to see happen from happening. All right, thanks very much, Andy. I'll throw over to Ayrton now. Um, our original question, Ayrton, was with a predicted Labour landslide, should the property sector be worried? What's your take on that? Yeah, so if we're talking about a Labour landslide, surprisingly, I'd actually echo Andy in kind of saying, what Labour are we talking about? Because, you know, the Labour that we get will have a huge impact on the attitudes towards private developers. So, for example, if we were taking a harder left, um, you, know, to, you know, with the momentum landslide potentially, what we're thinking about there is more council-led development within which private developers aren't really thought of because they're not able to provide the homes that we've needed over the past 10 years. And we are still faced with an affordability crisis, despite, you know, the streamlining of the MPPF or the streamlining of planning or deregulation of taxes generally. However, if we're talking about a more centrist left Labour, such as one that is battling itself with momentum, then we may be thinking about more housing association movement and a greater commercialisation within that housing association to kind of cross-subsidise and provide affordable housing. So for me, it depends on the Labour that we get. Okay, and would you agree with Andy that Sadiq Khan has just been shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic? I personally wouldn't. I feel like Sadiq Khan has had a good tenure and has been proactive both on calling in projects that aren't up to scratch in terms of afford providing affordability. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not... not I, I th it wasn't kind of what I meant in terms of justice. I, I think that that's all mayors, I think, over the last few years. I, think that, I wasn't making a political point. I don't think Sadiq's necessarily done a worse or a better job than Boris. It's more what we've seen is this sort of continuum of stuff where one guy will claim credit for this, the other guy will claim credit for that. And actually what they're claiming credit for was probably put in place four years prior. And mm. it, it, it takes that time to gestate. We'll have to see what happens when we get our first momentum mayor. Um, just but, moving but, but on I to think, my... But I think, okay, but just to interject, I, I think Ed makes a good point with, with, with the, the, the question over direct contracting of councils. And that's something that 
the the left, the far left, Labour has been pushing. And and actually, you know, taking politics out of it, it's something we are starting to see happen in London, both West and East. So Ealing, which has historically been a lot more of a Tory uh, area, you know, slightly more posh part of the West, just bordering onto Heathrow uh, in, into runway territory. It's a whole different political scandal waiting to happen again. Uh, uh, you know, they are they've got their own company building stuff. And at the other end of London, at the other end of the scale, you've got the same thing in Barking, you know, funnily, with the bloke who used to be at Ealing now running it. So we're seeing councils already doing this. They're already setting up companies. Um, and, and, and in some respects, that makes sense because a, a, a lot of the problem that we have is that companies are only prepared to take risk in doing development, which is very risky, if they make a certain degree of, of profit, a certain degree of return, which is, which is fair enough, because ultimately a lot of these companies are funded by people's pensions, by the savings and investments. And, and so it does make sense that if there is a, a public need, which is for cheap subsidised housing for those most in need, um, that, that has a, a risk attached to it, that that risk be borne by the, the public sector and, and the profits and, and the rewards be, be harvested by them. I, I, I think what we need is to have a balance through all of these things and a fair, a fair strategy across the whole of the southeast, so that we end, we stop getting into situations where it becomes about politics and more about actually what is it we need to build and how are we going to build it. Ed, and just to throw back to you, you've uh, spoken as Andy just did about council-led development. How do you think um, a labour, even a, a fairly left-wing Labour-led local authority can achieve this with uh, such limited funding from national government? Yeah, um, it's an interesting one. Andy touched on companies there. And I think that's the way that a lot of local housing authorities have basically tried to bring about affordable housing in the modern day. Ultimately, it's a capitalist solution provided within a left-leaning framework. And so I feel like a greater exploration of what special purpose vehicles are able to do and also just a trial and error period as to particular company models you know what do you keep as a charitable enterprise within that company how do you structure your company can you get right to buy receipts transferred from the local authority to this company to actually make the most of what i think we'd all agree in this room was a horrible policy and use it to provide genuinely affordable homes. So yeah, I'd say the ability to actually use special purpose vehicles. Great. And what changes do you think a more left-wing London political establishment would expect from the property sector? Well, I mean, we've already seen it in Haring, haven't we, with, with in North East London, where the, uh, the, the housing development vehicle that, uh, that had been agreed uh, is it has been used essentially as a stick to beat out um, many of the the people on Haringey Council, including the leader Claire Cober. Um, you know, I I don't want to go into that because the, there are many sensitivities and, and, and complexities of that whole saga. Um, but I think what we will see, um, and I think this is going to be the case, whether it's a left or a centrist left, it, it doesn't matter what whatever Labour. Um, uh, movement we see coming into councils, developers are going to be held to account a lot more on affordable housing. And I think that to some degree is fair. But you know, the answer here isn't necessarily to, to be demanding ridiculously high quotas. 
it, it's to be transparent over viability assessments. It's to have a, you know, a, a flexible attitude. It doesn't seek to, to try and compare the needs of Kensington with Haringey or the needs of Barking and, and, and Westminster in terms of you know structurally how those markets are, land price and all of the other stuff that that, that, that bands together. I, I think there has to be a, a pragmatic attitude to getting investment in through the door, but that shouldn't be at the expense of, of local environments and it shouldn't be the expense, uh, it, it, you know, taxpayers shouldn't be on the hook for stuff, crucially. Uh, and, and above all, uh, you know, I think if, you know, that there has to be a, a central government play here where we're thinking about transport and healthcare and education because these are all the things that get left out of the pot. People focus on building homes but don't think it's about you know, who's going to invest in the new tube stations that we need and the extra bus stops and the roads and all of the other infrastructure, both hard and soft, that, that has to fit around stuff. Ayrton, would you agree with that? Yeah, um, I would probably broadly agree with various sentiments, but disagree with certain parts. So generally, I would also, so I would agree that it would bring greater affordability and a greater emphasis on providing affordability. You know, we need to get away from thinking that commuted sums are enough, as opposed to actual physical infrastructure, actual homes for actual people. And so I feel like that would manifest itself in you know, hopefully 50% affordable and some councils even agreeing to push a 60% affordable range where needed. I think the one thing that we need to remember is that this is only temporary. We live in a housing crisis at the moment and we need to attack that housing crisis at the moment. That doesn't mean that affordable is going to maintain itself at 60%, but it's because of the contingency and the situation within which we are currently in. Um, I would also say it should bring a wider understanding of what sustainability is as well. You know, we deal not with just what the bottom line is, but also environmental sustainability as well, and economic sustainability and also social sustainability too. And I feel like in recent times, we've had a greater understanding of what social sustainability is, and hopefully that comes through. That's not to say that... What, what do you mean by that? So... For me, it's an understanding of social value and the impact of, on communities of developments. And this is not something new to the planning legislation. If you look at the MPPF, it has always had those three tenets in it. The only problem is that we've always been interpreting it with regards to only the bottom line. We haven't been thinking about the environmental sustainability of developments or the, ec or the social sustainability of those developments as well. And so hopefully you know, the interpretation of those words gets a wider meaning. Ultimately, you need to score them, don't you? And that's, that's the, the problem. But, what, but is what you're saying that the system doesn't value those things, that you could be coming in with, uh, you know, a, a really green or really sustainable um, in any checkbox scheme, but if it's not delivering a quota of affordable housing, then it will get booted out. Is that, is that what you mean? You need a healthy trade-off. And I think... With these sorts of issues, you can't have bright line solutions it is, and without meaning to sound like a cop out, purely driven by context hmm. of that development. Okay, I'm going to finish by uh, asking you um, a bit of a controversial question. Obviously, the property industry is, in many cases at the moment, just because of the housing crisis we're in, one of the least popular uh, industries, um, just because people are feeling the crunch pretty much on house prices. Uh, would you say that the sector has been resting on its laurels on issues of affordable housing, Andy, or do you think that's unfair? 
I think people look at the property world and they see that bloke from Persimmon trousering a massive 100 million, or it's, it's a bit less now, isn't it? It's 75 million, but it's still an absolutely humongous sum. He, he's pocketing some massive bonus off the back of a taxpayer-fueled uh, champagne party for the last few years via help to buy. They see the President's Club all over the FT. Um, they see all of these scandals on um, uh, uh, on, on freehold um, or leasehold properties and ground rents and then all of the, the, the terrible, terrible stuff following Grenfell. And they see all of these things together and then uh, the, the, what comes out from that is, is just a general sense of uh, of cynicism around everything so you know you might then have a developer turn up and have a genuine excuse for why they can only afford to build x or y uh, and and people don't want to engage with that so i think i don't think the sector necessarily has been resting on its laurels i think it's got a massive reputational issue that it needs to address and that's only going to be uh done through being more transparent being more open and engaging more and, and people thinking about how they talk to their various stakeholder groups not just the the, the media but the, you know local people customers investors and, and everyone in a more human way um because all of these things that i've listed and, and and many many other things all of these bound together so it's decisions that are made uh as i talked about just before in terms of local authority planning decisions often these things have nothing to do with policy they are emotional decisions made because people want to often make a point, be that political or moral or whatever, um, against uh, a particular group of individuals who they see as being nasty for whatever reason. And uh, and I think not until not until we're honest about that will there be some some genuine change made. So I'm sorry that's a bit of a negative note to end on, but it's unfortunately the way I see it. Well, I'll throw over to Ayrton and see whether he can cheer things up a bit. What do you think, Ayrton? Has the industry been resting on its laurels? I think I'm only going to slightly depress it a bit more. Um, you know, me surprised. Just to kind of take Andy's ending, let's be truthful about this. You know, if we actually look at the statistics, we live in a time where homelessness is increasing. E17 mums are being pushed out to West Bromwich because council housing and affordable housing isn't being provided. Um, space standards are decreasing and we're faced with less decent homes across all sectors. Clearly, you can't lie to the facts that there are issues in this sector. And of course, you know, where you put the blame doesn't necessarily need to be just the property industry because that is a huge industry and accounts for a lot of individuals doing lots of different jobs. But I do feel like we have some collective responsibility for that and some moral duty at least to try and improve those horrifying statistics that exist at the moment. All right. Well, thank you very much. Obviously, we've got a long way to go. This was... Uh, uh, I was speaking here today with Andrew Teacher and Ayrton Dillon from Blackstock Consulting. Thank you very much.